Welcome to the Tingo Investing Podcast, where we teach you how to make a better investment and retirement portfolio. Our goal is to explain everything from basic to advanced concepts in plain language that you can understand, whether you are a beginning investor or a professional. Hey listeners, welcome to QA2, What is Shorting? Today we're going to discuss what is shorting and how can we make money when stocks go down? What are the implications of doing this with stocks, commodities, or other types of financial instruments? And of course, since this is the Tingo Investing Podcast, we aren't going to explain just what shorting is. That's way too easy. We're going to take a look at shorting and then expand upon the concept to take it a few levels deeper. Everything will be easy to understand, I promise. For those of you just listening in, this is a Q&A episode or a question and answer episode. In this format, we answer questions directly from our listeners. I personally love these episodes because it means I get to interact with you all and learn what's important to you guys. And it's funny, before a user asked me to explain shorting, which became the inspiration for this episode, I actually spent the past couple years thinking, if I were to teach shorting, how would I do it? And the reason I've been thinking about this for the past few years is that this was a concept I struggle with for so long. I mean, you Google what is shorting, and the answers are like, the definition of shorting is you borrow shares and sell shares you don't own, then buy them back cheaper. And that's the explanation. And I was always still left with so many questions like, wait, what? How does that even work? Like, how can you borrow shares? How can you borrow a piece of a company and then buy it back cheaper? None of it made any sense. So it took me an embarrassingly long amount of time to learn shorting. And I think part of that is that sites don't necessarily explain it well. Well, I'm looking to change that in this episode, and luckily I've been thinking about this for a few years. I wanted to put this particular topic in the episode series instead of the Q&A series, but I couldn't figure out how. After all, the goal in these beginning episodes is teaching how to invest and then getting into advanced longer-term strategies. Now eventually, I'll get into trading different trading styles and maybe trading on a shorter-term strategy, But it would kind of stink to have to wait till episode, I don't know, maybe 20 to learn what shorting is. Especially because it's so prevalent in the media. Everyone always talks about short seller, shorting, and it would kind of stink to have to wait that long to learn what that means. Anyway, the point is, is that I'm going to provide a better what is shorting education because I think I can empathize with a confusion a lot of people have, especially when you Google it. But before I begin, I do want to cover a few things regarding the pace of Tingo's future podcast episodes. This is going to take a couple of minutes, but I just want to be clear why the pace of episodes is slowing down a bit. Originally, I was aiming for one or more episodes a week, but the truth is is that the majority of my episodes take about 16 to 20 hours each of my time to plan and create them. Not only that, outside these 16 to 20 hours, my mind is constantly thinking about how to explain these things at all times. For those of you who don't know what Tingo is, it's a broader mission to make high-level financial tools and education accessible to everyone. Creating Tingo allows me to develop and manage a web platform, author a podcast, interact with my users and listeners, which I love, by the way, and now I'm marketing to get the word out. But because of all these things, the past few weeks I've been working 8 a.m. to 2 a.m., 3 a.m., and actually sometimes 4 a.m. And so I'm currently a one-man shop, and thankfully many in the Tingo community are now volunteering their time to help out. But in order for me to exist as a person, I've decided uh, one or more episodes a week is a little bit too aggressive. I'm going to try to aim for one or more episodes every two weeks. So instead of one a week, one every two weeks. 
And this is actually incredibly more important because we're about to get into some more complex stuff and I want to spend a lot of time making sure it's accessible. So I'm studying 16 to 20 hours per episode on the previous ones. It's actually probably going to go up going forward because the topics get more difficult. So I hope you can understand if the pace of episodes uh, going forward is a bit slower. I'm still giving the same amount of time, if not more, to each episode, and that requires a bit longer of a release schedule. Anyway, last quick thing before I get into what is shorting. Um, the Tingo ecosystem, platform, and community has a pay-what-you-can page. Because Tingo costs money to run and I want to empower, I believe right now this is the best model, pay-what-you-can, to create a sustainable business and also empower. If you have a few minutes, I would love it if you could go to tingo.com forward slash support and contribute. That's T-I-I-N-G-O forward slash support. And even if it's a couple dollars a month, if everybody does it, I can continue to support Tingo full-time. Um, I've forgone over about a year of income to create this project, so it's helpful if people can contribute and pay or support Tingo. You know, if every listener contributes $3 a month or more, I can get one step closer to doing this to, to continue doing this full-time. Think of a podcast as a constantly evolving book that interacts with us. Many of us spend $3 a month on a cup of coffee or for a book that doesn't really change throughout time. Well, why not spend another $3 a month for Tingo? Smiley face. The link is tingo.com forward slash support, and I know I verbally said smiley face. I hope that doesn't detract you. Anyway, that covers the pace of future episodes and the quote, I need to pay my bills, unquote, spiel. So let's move forward. Shorting is a way that you can make money from markets when a stock falls. You can actually make money when a stock drops in price. Now, what shorting means is that it's a term for borrowing shares of a stock or of a company selling those shares, then rebuying those shares at hopefully a lower price. Now you may be thinking, uh, and that's exactly how I felt when I heard this. So let me explain in easier terms because that explanation kind of stinks. As usual, I'm going to explain an example of what shorting is with my favorite dessert, cookies. So let's say your friend owns a cookie shop. You always stroll in his part of town because you buy his cookies. But his cookies aren't really different than other cookies, and in fact, your friend buys his cookies from a big company, from a big distributor. The company sells their cookies in a ton of different stores. But your favorite brand of cookies at your friend's store is the chocolate chip cookies. And these chocolate chip cookies sell for $10 a bag. Now let's make this scenario even more ridiculous. Let's say you're a photographer and you have an obsession with taking pictures of cookies, all the different angles from under the chip, over the chip, and you love your friend's chocolate chip cookies. You love them, the ones that sell for $10 a bag. You love them so much, you're inspired to take pictures of them. So one day, <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't keep a straight face with this scenario, but one day you go up to your friend and you say, hey man. Can I borrow that bag of cookies for a hot second? I want to take some pictures of it. Now your friend naturally is a little creeped out, but you've been a good customer. So he says, sure, just make sure you give me the bag of cookies once you're done and make sure you don't eat any of them. Just give me the bag as it is. So you tell him that's fine. And you borrow the cookies from your friend. You take some pictures of the bag, you get some good angles. And at night you invite a friend over to come check out your sweet cookie pictures. Your friend looks at the pictures and looks at the cookies and says, man, those cookies do look good. Can I have some? And you tell him, oh, I'm sorry. I'm actually borrowing them for the pictures. I got to return them tomorrow. Your friend who's staying over looks at you funny and says, all right, well, you know what? How about I just buy them from you? And you realize something. You realize your cookie shop friend would love it if you sold the cookies for him, right? So why don't you sell it to this guy for $10? And then give it to your friend. He's a friend after all. You're helping him do business. Why wouldn't he love that? 
So you say, sure, yeah, they're $10. And so the friend that came over that night pays you $10, you put it in your wallet so you can give it to the cookie shop the next day. So as you're walking the next morning, you're going to see your friend in the cookie store, give him the good news that you sold his product for him. And as you're walking down this sidewalk, you look to your right and you see a brand new cookie shop. It came out of nowhere. And in the window, you see your favorite chocolate chip cookies, the one that you have in your, that, the one that you sold to your friend last night. But something's different. The cookie bag in the cookie window says it's $5 a bag. They're the exact same brand of cookies, but it's selling for $5 a bag. Your friend yesterday was charging $10 a bag. So you enter an existential crisis of realizing you've been overpaying for cookies. What is friendship? Would a friend truly make you overpay for cookies? Why would he do that to you? You've bought over a hundred bags of cookies from him. Why? You realize he's not your friend and you never want to talk to him again. You say, I don't care about my friend. I'm going to go make a profit. So you walk into that store and you buy those cookies for $5 a bag from this other shop. And remember, your friend only wanted the bag of cookies. He didn't want the money. So he doesn't even know you sold the cookies. So you go to your friend's cookie shop and you give him that $5 a cookie bag that you bought from the other store. He can't tell the difference because it's the same brand. He thanks you. He then asks you, hey, you want to buy some cookies? The price actually dropped from $10 a bag to $5 a bag. And now you smile because you realize he's still your friend. You tell him no thanks and you walk away. So what just happened? Well, to recap, you borrow the cookies from your friend that were selling for $10 a bag that day. You then sold that bag of cookies to somebody else for $10 cash. So you borrow the cookies from your friend and you sold them to another friend for $10 cash. Then the next day, your friend wanted those cookies back. He didn't care about the money. He just wanted the cookies back. He didn't even know that you actually sold them. But as you're going back, you see the same cookies selling for $5 a bag. And so you buy those cookies for $5 a bag and you give it to him. So you borrowed a bag of cookies, you sold them for $10, and then you returned to your friend a bag of cookies. You sold the cookies you borrowed for $10, and then you returned the cookies you borrowed and you bought the cookies you returned for $5. So you pocketed a $5 profit. Once again, you borrowed a bag of cookies that normally cost $10 a bag, you sold them to somebody for $10 that night, and then you bought the same bag of cookies for $5 the next day to give back to your friend. You sold the borrowed cookies at a higher price, then bought them back the next day at a lower price. And then you gave your friend who lent you the cookies new cookies to pay him back. If this doesn't make sense yet, it's okay because we're going to continue on and we're going to talk through another example, but this time we're going to talk about stocks. Now you sold those cookies short. Now remember, shorting is taking shares, borrowing them, selling them, then buying them back at a lower price. You did that with cookies. You borrowed cookies, sold them, and then bought the cookies back later to return the cookies. So let's take the perspective of stocks instead of cookies now. Now let's say you see Microsoft is trading at $40 a share. You think for whatever reason the stock is going to drop. Well, you can go to your stockbroker and say, hey, can I borrow 10 shares real quick? And then your broker will be like, yeah, sure, why not? Just give me 10, share, 10 shares back at some point in time. Since pretty much all shares under the ticker MSFT, the Microsoft ticker, are the same, they don't care if the 10 shares you give them are the ones they lent you or not. All shares have the, those shares are going to have the same voting rights, or they're essentially the same thing. So they just want those 10 shares back. Just like your friend, he only wanted the cookies back. 
right? And it didn't matter if the how much the cookies cost, he wanted the cookies. So your broker doesn't care how much the shares of Microsoft cost, they just want those 10 shares back. So you borrow the 10 shares from your broker and then you sell them at the market. You sell them at the market price of $40 a share. Because of that, you now collect $400 in cash from selling those 10 shares at $40 a share. So now Microsoft drops to $35 a share and you think, okay, you know what, I'm pretty happy. So you buy those 10 shares at $35 a share. That costs you a total of $350. Remember, earlier you sold 10 shares at $40 a share for a total of $400, and now you're buying the shares back at $35 a share, or a total of $350. So, to get the profit, you do the sell amount minus the buy amount, and that's $400. How much you sold it for minus the $350 you bought it for, and you get $50. You made a $50 profit from doing this. Okay, now let's get into some nuances. When you ask your broker to borrow 10 shares, they actually ask a clearinghouse, which sort of has an inventory, if you will, of shares of Microsoft. Think of them as sort of the accountant of your shares and everybody else's at your brokerage. It's not a perfect analogy, but for right now, let's assume that's what it is. So the clearinghouse helps ensure the stock system is less risky. They manage things like that. They manage to make sure they have enough inventory that they can lend things out. They're sort of like a bank in many respects, and their goal is to reduce the risk of the system. So you want to borrow 10 shares, and let's say the clearinghouse has a thousand shares of Microsoft on inventory. Basically, if you got all the brokerage accounts and you combine the shares of Microsoft, they have a thousand shares in Microsoft. So they say, okay, you know what? You want to borrow 10 shares. That's 1% of our inventory. Here you go. That's fine. But how about this? What if the clearinghouse only had 30 shares of Microsoft on hand and you wanted to borrow 10 of them? Well, you want to borrow 30% of their inventory. Think of this sort of like a bank. When you go to your bank, you know that the bank has enough cash to satisfy your needs. If you want to withdraw some cash out. Well, what would happen if every person who had an account at the bank asked for a cash withdrawal the same day? The bank wouldn't actually have enough cash to service everybody, but the vast majority of the time, banks have enough cash to help people on a day-to-day -day basis. A clearinghouse is the same way. They want to make sure that they have enough shares on inventory to lend before they lend them out. So their inventory of 1,000 shares of Microsoft exists because everybody, all their customers have 1,000 shares. Now, they may want to make sure that they keep some inventory on hand because what if somebody wants to sell those shares? The clearinghouse wants to make sure that they have those shares on hand so that someone can withdraw them and sell them at market. So they may feel comfortable letting you borrow 10 shares if they have a thousand inventory, but do you think they would feel comfortable if they let you borrow 10 shares if they only had 30 total in inventory? That's 30%. So for the clearinghouse to protect themselves, they may say, you know what, we'll let you take those 10 shares. But you're going to have to pay up. You're going to have to pay us 50% interest rate because right now Microsoft is a term that they call, quote, hard to borrow, unquote. You have to pay a 50% interest rate, and that's an annual rate. And what that means is that for every dollar you make from selling short, you have to pay 50% of it or 50 cents each year to the clearinghouse. So as an example, you sold 10 shares of Microsoft at $40 a share. That's $400. That means for that $400 worth of proceeds you got from the day you sold, you have to pay 50% of that over the course of the year. So 50% of $400 is $200. Now, typically interest rates are based on 360 days a year. So you take that $200 and you divide it by 360 days a year. And that means 
you're going to be paying 55 cents a day just to be short this position because Microsoft is hard to borrow. So let's say you actually bought Microsoft back at $35 a share, like in the previous example. Remember, in that example, you pocketed a $50 profit. But let's say it took you 100 days to do that. It took 100 days for Microsoft to fall to $35 a share. Because it took 100 days and because you're paying 55 cents a day in interest, you actually paid $55 in interest to the clearinghouse. Yet your profit was only $50. So you actually lost $5 in paying that 50% interest rate the clearinghouse was charging you. Now this interest rate is called a quote borrow rate. So with shorting, it not only matters if the stock drops, but it can also matter how fast it drops depending upon the borrow rate, especially if it's hard to borrow. When you get hard to borrow stocks, that rate can go as high as 50% or even higher. It can get very, very high. So with shorting, you can often be in a race against time. So if you want to sell short, you have to call and ask your broker what their rates are and how they handle the borrowing fee. I can't get into the different brokers and how they do it because each broker has their own fee schedule and they also have a different way of showing you the borrow rate. In addition, some brokers may charge an additional interest rate and they may charge additional fees for short selling. This short selling practice, interest rates, fees, borrow rates vary drastically from broker to broker. So if you're interested in selling short, make sure this is one of the questions you ask your broker. What interest rates do I have to pay, if any? What borrow rates do I have to pay, if any? And how do I, deter how do I figure out the borrow rate? And what other fees are involved? Now, if the clearinghouse says, you know what, we're not comfortable giving 30% of our inventory away, your broker may come back and say, hey, we couldn't, we couldn't borrow the shares. There was no one we could find who would lend you the shares. And in that case, you can't sell short. So make sure when you talk to your broker, you ask them these questions. And the next nuance, which you'll have to ask your broker about, is something called margin. If you want to short, you have to open a brokerage account with margin approval. When you open up a brokerage account for the first time, they'll often ask you, hey, do you want to make this a margin account? And if you already have a brokerage account, you can also fill out a form that will let you convert it to a margin account. But what does margin mean? Margin can be confusing because it kind of has two meanings. First, margin lets you borrow money to invest or trade. Let's say you have $2,000 in your brokerage account. You can apply for margin and now you can trade with double that. So you can take that $2,000 you have and you can trade as if you had $4,000. This is a concept called leverage. In this case, you are levered two to one. Or in other words, for every $1 you have in your account, you can trade as if you had $2. But remember, your account is actually only $2,000. You can trade like you have 4,000, but ultimately the amount of cash you have is 2,000. You can't go to your broker and withdraw $4,000. You can still only go to your broker and withdraw 2,000. This is just a tool that helps people scale up their investments and help them add additional leverage is, is typically what the term is. But remember this, and this is the important thing to remember about leverage. If your account is $2,000 and you don't have any margin, you don't have any leverage, all of your stocks would have to go to zero and that's how you would lose 100%. You would get wiped out and have $0 left over. So basically, if you don't have margin, the only way you can get wiped out and lose all your money is if all your stocks and investments go to zero. But if you levered two to one and you trade as if you have $4,000 in your account, you would only have to lose 50% to be wiped out. If you had $4,000 and your stocks fell 50%, you lost $2,000 and your brokerage, your brokerage would cut you off. They would say, you've lost all the cash in your account. It's done. It's over. I'm sorry. So when you're levered two to one, you take that return, gain or loss, and you multiply it by two. And that's how much you actually gained or lost. 
So if it goes up 50%, you actually doubled your money, you doubled the $2,000. For example, if $4,000 goes up 50%, now you made $2,000, so you doubled your money. But if the $4,000 also drops 50%, you lost 100% of your money, wipes you out. Using leverage can help magnify losses and gains. Because of this, margin has a second meaning. Remember, your broker and clearinghouse want to protect themselves. So they may say, okay, you have $2,000 in your account, and you can invest up to $4,000 account. But if your account value drops below $1,500, you have to put more money in your account. Each broker will set a different threshold of what they feel comfortable with, but there are specific regulations that require minimums. But because brokerages and clearinghouses want to protect themselves, they'll let you trade with leverage, but if you lose too much, they will ask you to transfer more money into your account to create a bigger cushion. This is called a margin call. It's called a margin call when a your brokerage says, hey, you know what, your account fell too much, we'll let you use leverage, but first you got to add more money into your account. Now, this is important for short selling because of this. The Federal Reserve Board requires that if you sell short, you have to have at least 150% of the value of what you sold short in your portfolio. For example, using the Microsoft example, you sold 10 shares of Microsoft at $40 a share, you got $400. The Federal Reserve Board requires your brokerage to make sure you have 150% of the $400 in proceeds you received in your portfolio. That would be $600. If your account value fell below $600, you would get a margin call from your broker and you'd have to post more cash or you'd have to close out of your position. So remember, you sold 10 shares of Microsoft, $40 a share, you got $400, and now government regulations say you have to keep 150% of that value in your portfolio. 150% times 400 is $600. So if the value, if you sold short 10 shares of Microsoft, got $400 and your account value fell below $600, your brokerage would margin call you and if you couldn't post margin immediately, they would close you out. Think of it this way, when you go to a bank for a loan, you get cash, but it's still a liability because you have to pay that cash back. You owe the bank money. Even though you have cash, it's a liability. And the short selling is the exact same way. While you do get money when you sell share, the shares you borrowed, it's actually a liability because you gotta pay your broker back. This is why you need a margin account, because you're essentially borrowing something and creating a liability, and also because government regulations require that you have extra money in your account. This gets us into the next nuance. This is arguably actually one of the most important nuances and something a lot of people stress when they talk about short selling. With short selling, you can actually lose more money than what your account is worth. With short selling, you can have unlimited losses. There is no protection. If we own 10 shares of Facebook at $80 a share, let's say we bought 10 shares of Facebook because we think Facebook is going to go up. But let's say we're totally wrong. So we bought 10 shares of Facebook. We put our entire account in Facebook at $80 a share. So our entire account is worth $800. Now let's say Facebook goes bankrupt. The share price goes to $0 a share. Now our account is worth zero because $0 a share times the 10 shares we have is zero. Our portfolio could not be worth a negative amount because shares can't be worth less than zero. Now this is the case where we go long, where we buy shares. We can't lose more than what our account has. But when you're shorting, your account can go into the negatives. Now let's say you short 100 shares of Facebook at $80 a share, so now you're short $800 worth. You follow the Federal Reserve Board's requirement and you have 150% margin in your account. So, so you originally had $400 in your account. You sold, 100, you sold 10 shares of Facebook and you got $800. Now you have $1,200 cash in your portfolio, 400 of what it was originally, and 800 from borrowing shares of Facebook and selling them at market. So you have $1,200 cash in your portfolio. 
But let's say the markets close that day and then Facebook announces earnings. And these earnings are amazing. The stock opens the next day and starts trading immediately at $125 a share. The previous day, it closed at $80 a share, but because the results were so amazing, it's now trading at $125 a share. Well, if you bought those shares back right now, it would cost you $125 times 10 shares, $1,250. But remember, you only had $1,200 in your account. So the next morning you wake up and your broker would be immediately doing a margin call and you would be closed out. So you had $1,200 the night before, and now you had to spend $1,250 to close out your position because Facebook gapped up. So you made $1,200 the day previously, or you had $1,200 in proceeds the day previously, and now you lost $1,250. You are now $50 in the hole, and you owe your broker $50. This is the one thing about selling short. When you sell short, you're selling, and then you have to buy back. But prices, stock prices don't have an upper bound. They can go from $100 one day to $200 the next day. There is no upper bound. Also, if you're selling short and the stock you sell short pays a dividend, that dividend comes out of your account. You're paying that dividend. There are a lot of these nuances with selling short and we're just sort of skimming the surface. There are a lot of risks and shorting, you can lose a ton of money. So to conclude, shorting is a kind of term exclusive to stocks and ETFs, including commodity ETFs. It can be very dangerous when used incorrectly. So if you're a beginning investor, or even if you're an experienced investor, I highly, highly recommend you do not short. Shorting is not investing, it's trading and speculating. A lot of people think trading and speculating can be fun and cool, and myself included. But if you don't know the ins and outs, you will lose money. And even if you do know the ins and outs, you can often lose money. So if you're thinking about a long-term portfolio or a retirement portfolio, shorting has no place in it. And to get to the final words, as we are going to discuss in the future, we discussed that shorting is true to stocks and ETFs and even commodity ETFs, but when you get into commodity futures contracts, you can't really short commodity futures. You can sell these contracts, but you're not actually borrowing the commodities and selling them. You're just creating a contract. And don't worry, we're going to get these specifics a little bit later from now. I'm just trying to tease you with some information and some fun facts. And another fun fact to tease you with is that if you're a bank and you sell short, you can actually make money from the borrow. Whereas if you're the average person, you pay that borrow. Uh, if you're a bank, you can actually make money from selling short from interest rates in a couple other ways. But there's a lot to shorting. And this episode is just meant to get you with the fundamentals down. So when you hear it from your broker or in the news, you know what's going on. Anyway, this is the end of the Q&A to episode, What is Shorting? If you have any questions or feedback, please shoot me an email at rishi at tingo.com. That's R-I-S-H-I at T-I-I-N-G-O.com. And this is a bit of a tough topic, but I'm glad you stuck through with it. And if you have any other questions or want clarifications, reach out to me. And if you really enjoyed this podcast episode, or if you enjoy the podcast series, then please feel free to consider supporting Tingo at tingo.com forward slash support. Whether you believe in the mission, the web app, the podcast, and so on, if you can support Tingo, we can keep doing this full time and we can make this an awesome community. All right, until next episode, be well and let's get down into it and we'll continue with the episode series.